if you came today um, expecting to hear uh, from Chris, I'm sorry. Uh, and if you were hoping not to hear from him, you're welcome. Uh, no, just, just kidding. Chris and his family, Pastor Chris and his family, they're on vacation, so just be in prayer for them uh, these next couple weeks. They just get away to get uh, rested up and just have some refreshment uh, there. And so my name's Jonathan. I'm the Connections Pastor here, and I'll be bringing uh, the word to you. Uh, today. And so I just wanted to start uh, with a question for you. H- have, you ever, have you ever experienced in your life some kind of a, a dangerous situation or, or maybe it seems like an even impossible situation, not one that was necessarily caused by you or even created by you, but you, you, f- you find yourself in this seemingly impossible situation and oftentimes you're there uh, but because of an outside force, an outside power that is really in, has imposed their will on you, uh, a lot of times when you're in that situation, there, there is uh, s- some kind of potential power that, that really is doing that uh, to you, and you're in that situation really through no fault of your own. Now, we see this played out on a grand scale. We see this kind of played out on a macro level in the world. We're seeing it played out right now across an ocean with the war between Russia in Ukraine, uh, we, we see a, a, a more powerful nation has decided to impose their will on, on a, a weaker nation in Ukraine. And uh, lots of Ukrainians and even a lot of Russians are experiencing a lot of pain and a lot of suffering really through no fault of their own because, because this positional power decided to impose their will on, that, on them. And we see that same thing last week when we looked at the nation of Babylon imposing its will on a nation like uh, Judah. But it doesn't just happen on, on a larger scale. We, we know that happens on a micro level too in our own lives. If, if you've lived life at all, uh, you've already experienced this or you will experience it at some point in your time, things will happen to you. You'll, you'll, you'll get something unexpected to come into your life, and it'll change things. It'll change things for you. you, you it may come in the form of an email or a phone call or a text that, that you receive, and it was unexpected, but because you got that notice, it, it, it could have changed your life, not just for the week or not just for the year. It could, it could change your entire life, and, and you really had nothing to do with that, or it, it could come through a uh, rejection letter, right? It, 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 it could uh, come through a lab result that you were praying and hoping would, would be a different diagnosis, and you get that lab result, and this unexpected news could shift the course of your life, or it could really change your life. It, it, it could come through uh, if you're a student, maybe you have your heart set on, on this particular school or university and you receive that, that notice that you didn't get in and so now you've got to alter your course or if it's a, a job where, where you just get the thanks but no thanks and now you've got to figure out something different or, or it could even come through uh, uh, the loss of, of life. For you with, with a family member or, or a spouse. I, I just, the last uh, six months just went through a time where, where I've lost three uncles in, in the past uh, six months. And these are things that happen. They're unexpected things that come into our life and they can change things. They, they, they can be these seemingly in, impossible situations. And uh, in just a little bit, a little bit later, uh, we, we discover, we find out that that is often the spot that Daniel finds himself in, in these seemingly impossible situations that he gets in in life through often no fault 
of his own. And so the question for us today is, what do we do? How do you respond when you find yourself in those types of situations? How are we supposed to respond? How do we respond when it feels like we're in this seemingly impossible circumstance in our life? How are we supposed to react? How are we supposed to, to, to navigate that kind of a situation when it shows up. Well, the good news today and kind of the primary thrust and the primary takeaway of what we're gonna be looking at today in Daniel chapter two is simply this. When impossible situations arise in your life, we should expect God's greatness to shine. When those impossible kind of situations show up like that, we should expect God's greatness to show up. And last week, we began a brand new series in the book of Daniel, and Pastor Chris actually started that, that series, and he talked about that. He talked about the, the, the nation of Babylon coming in and, and really imposing their will on the nation of Judah, and all that came with that, that now this secular culture was coming in to this godly culture. They were trying to assimilate them indoctrinate them, and that is actually pertinent and relevant to us today. That the, the, the same kind of thing uh, happens to, to people today. The same kind of thing is happening in our culture uh, to, today as well. And so when that happens today, when, when we're going to take a look at how God's greatness gets revealed in the midst of a seemingly impossible situation like that. And so when we come to something like this, uh, we, we kind of need to understand, we need to pull back and, and zoom out with a, a bigger gospel lens to try and find out, well, why? Why would something like this be happening at this time in this biblical timeline? Why is this actually going on? So we need to answer that question as, okay, why is this, why are all these things, these impossible situations happening in the book of Daniel? Well, if we go back uh, and look in, in, in uh, Leviticus chapter 26, uh, talks about this Mosaic covenant. It's this covenant that God made with the Hebrew people, with the nation of Israel, and he establishes this covenant. He says, I'm gonna be your God. You're gonna be my people, and based on your obedience now, we see that in that chapter, there's gonna be blessings that will come out of that, but if you have a disobedient heart and if you turn away from the one true God, there's also gonna be consequences, severe consequences that come out of that. And this is happening now. All this, a lot of this is taking place because of a promise that God is actually fulfilling now to his covenant people, to the Hebrew people. And it's a severe consequence. A lot of times when we think about God's promises, we're all for, hey, I'm prom I, I promise you that I'm gonna uh, get you into the land flowing with milk and honey. And that's what we think about when we think about it. But God also promised them there's gonna be severe consequences if you have a disobedient heart and you fall away from the one true God and that's where we, we find ourselves now. The obedience by the Hebrew people, it wasn't to earn their relationship to God, it, it was in response to a great redeeming king. And so now what we find is after a lengthy disobedience by his people, now God is using a situation to fulfill his promise to say, hey, there is something occurring now that I said would happen all those years ago, and now it is taking place. And so as we study the book of Daniel, we realize that he is using the nation of Babylon as his instrument for gracious discipline with his people. And that, that's what's going on now. And so yes, God is using a king for his discipline, but he has also taken a faithful servant in order to make his greatness 
known and in order to reveal that greatness. And so just like last week when Chris mentioned that Daniel is really this foreshadowing of another archetype that, this, uh, that we see that is yet to come, it is foreshadowing another faithful servant that is gonna ultimately come to save and redeem us and reveal God's greatness in the person of Christ in our Messiah. And so we pick up in Daniel 2, verses 1 through 30 uh, today, and we, we, we've got a large text to look at. So what I want to do is just kind of summarize verses 1 through 13 for you, kind of set the scene on what's going on at this point. And then we'll read through verses 14 through 30 to end our, our time together. So let me just kind of give you a quick summary of what's happening now in chapter 2 in those first 13 verses. Uh, we find a king, King Nebuchadnezzar, that we got introduced to last week. And the king is troubled. He's vexed. In fact, he's so troubled he can't sleep at night. He's having trouble sleeping, but his trouble is actually coming from his sleep because God is communicating to Nebuchadnezzar through these dreams. Now, dreams were a big deal in this culture at this time uh, uh, when nobility and rulers would often get dreams like this. They would recognize that it was more than just some crazy dream. They would know that there was some communication happening here. So what they would do is they would gather their wise counsel together, the enchanters, magicians. Remember, these are secular kings. They would gather the wise counsel, counsel together to try and figure out and interpret these dreams because they knew if they could get it figured out, then that could tell them what was coming in the months and years ahead, and they could actually plan for it and prepare for it. We saw this happen again in the book of Genesis, in the life of Joseph. We see that same uh, thing going on where, where Joseph has to go through all these impossible situations, but he gets to a position where he gets to influence the Pharaoh and interpret dreams for him as well. And so the same type of thing is happening. So when the king, now he's troubled, he is really concerned, he can't figure out what, what these dreams mean, so he calls in, this council, these magicians and Chaldeans and enchanters, and he does what most kings do. He says, okay, I need you to interpret this dream, but he adds a caveat. He says, not only do I need you to tell me what these dreams mean, I want you to tell me what, what I'm dreaming. So they responded pretty much how we would respond too. Oh, king, live forever was the words they said. I'm thinking in their head, they were thinking, you are a crazy man. You have forgotten how this works. No, no, no. You tell us the dream, then we interpret it for you. Nobody can do that. What you're asking is impossible. There's not a person on the planet in your kingdom that can do what you're asking. And Nebuchadnezzar gets angrier. He says, no, I'm firm on this. I want you to tell me my dream, and then I want you to tell me what it means. Because if you don't, your life depends on it. If you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. And not only am I going to kill you, I'm going to rip you limb from limb. So now their response is, oh, great king, live forever. Please don't kill us. But the problem was is they didn't have a different response. It was still impossible. What he was asking, he was saying, listen, we hear you. Please don't kill us. But we can't do what you're asking. Nobody can. And finally, King Nebuchadnezzar gets furious. He says, I'll tell you what. If you don't do what I'm asking, not only am I going to kill you, I'm going to kill every other man that says he's a wise man in my kingdom that says that they make and interpret dreams like this. They're going to die too, which now meant Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were lumped into this through no fault of their own. Now their life was at risk. They were about to die, and they was like, man, we just woke up and got invaded, and now we're in all this, and the king is, is telling us now he's going to kill us just because of who we are in our position in 
his kingdom. And so what God is doing, he is setting the this, this stage here. What he's saying is God is using his sovereign power to maintain his covenant mercy here. God is saying, I, I'm going to use my sovereign power to, to, to maintain and to uh, uh, come to fruition my covenant mercy that I have with my people. And yes, his hand is working now. He is moving through the dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar, and he is using this king now to set up and create this impossible situation because he is setting the stage for his greatness to be revealed. He is setting all this up. Now, now on a side note here, while it is true he's using Babylon and he's using this king to, as an instrument of his discipline, he is also making it crystal clear here who the real sovereign is in all of this. And it's not King Nebuchadnezzar. See, the, the, the uh, Hebrew people were known, all the other nations knew this, that they proclaimed to worship the one true God, which meant they were saying, we worship the one true sovereign over everything. And Nebuchadnezzar, it is also known that he was a crazy man. He was unhinged, he was a violent king, he was vicious, and he had a huge ego. And so when he came in and he conquered these Hebrew people, he made it known to basically say, hey, I just conquered this people that claim to worship a sovereign God. Who's the sovereign now? Who's your sovereign now? And God was reminding Nebuchadnezzar and everybody else, it's still me. Still me, that, that hasn't changed. I'm still the one in control here. I'm still, I'm using you now. I'm creating turmoil in your life. I'm gonna use you as my instrument of discipline, but I am still in control here. And speaking of discipline, why, why would God do this? Why would he actually uh, institute severe consequences like this for people that, that he is in a committed covenant relationship, for people that he says he loves, why would he do something like that why would he actually bring about discipline like this well the fact is is that God disciplines fiercely because he loves endlessly the reason that he's instituting these consequences is not because he doesn't love them that they have had a disobedient heart for a long time but he is still pursuing them the reason he's doing this is because he does love them fiercely see if God didn't care he wouldn't do it he wouldn't go to the trouble of instituting those, those consequences. And, and listen, that's when, if that were to ever happen, that's when we should get worried. That's when you should be worried. If God were to ever stop bringing consequences and disciplines in your life and situations in your life that led your disobedient heart back to him, that's when you should be concerned, not the other way around. My, my wife, Christy, is a, a first year principal this year at elementary school in Swannanoa. And some of you guys know that. And it's been a year. It's been a hard, it's been a hard year. And, and uh, you know, when you're principal of a school, you're kind of like the little sovereign of that school. A everything falls on your lap. Everything falls on your plate. And you have to make the hard decisions. You ultimately have to decide the discipline, too, that happens with so many different situations with kids and adults and teachers and all these things. And just last week, uh, she came on, there was a situation where she was having to make some hard decisions. She was having to implement some consequences. And it, it broke, it was breaking her up. It was hard for her. It's hard to do that. She was crying. She was really sad about it, but she was having to do it. And another one of her coworkers that had been there for four or five years and had been in administration looked to her and said, you know what, Christy, I used to cry too. 
But give it three or four years and you'll stop. Give it three or four years, you'll stop crying. What she was saying was, I don't care anymore. I, I don't care enough to cry. I don't care enough to actually discipline. And so Christy came on. She goes, John, I know what you. I know what I want you to pray for me about now is that I'll always have a soft heart. Is that, that that I'll never stop caring enough about these kids and about these families to discipline them. And, and we see that principle played out in, in if you're a parent with a parent and a child as well, right, guys? The, the, the longer the longer you're a parent the harder it is to discipline. It gets exhausting, doesn't it? It's not like we like it. I mean, sometimes we like it. But most of the time, we don't. Most of the time, it's a hard thing because it is easy. It's easy to set the consequence. It is hard to follow through with the consequence, isn't it? That's where love shows up. Love means you're following through with the consequence, even though you're exhausted, even though you don't want to do it. And as parents, we're imperfect. Sometimes we don't follow through the way that we should because it is so exhausting. It is so hard. This past year and a half of my life has probably been the hardest parenting time of my life. I have had to discipline a lot this last year and a half as a parent. And I'm tired of it. I'm exhausted by it. I I don't want to do it anymore. And the only reason that I still am is because I love my kids. It's because I love my kids. That's, that's why I'm actually still bothering to do that. The love comes from following through with those things that you know your kids need. Thank God, God never gets exhausted. He is tireless in his efforts. And so I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but it might be that God is creating these seemingly impossible situations because you actually need it. Because you actually need those. He may not actually be bailing you out. See, as a parent, when, when our kids get older, the d- discipline changes. We have to watch them. We have to allow natural consequences to take place in their life. And now, part of it, it is for us is we can't jump in and bail them out. We have to sit there and allow that situation to, to play out and for the situation to be the discipline for them. Even though we watch them in pain and suffering, we know that's gonna be good for them. And that's how we're gonna produce love for them. And so it's the same for us. Maybe God is not bailing you out of the situation you're in because you need it. Could be that whatever has happened to you in the past or whatever is happening to you right now, ultimately that is taking place so that you can be reminded and so that God's greatness can actually be revealed through all of it, through your circumstances, through your situation. But rest assured, God will use whatever tool, whatever situation is necessary if it means it will turn a disobedient heart back to him. He'll do whatever it takes. He'll do whatever it takes for you to lead you back home, to lead you back to him the one true God. See, the problem is oftentimes when we're in the middle of it, when we're in these situations like this, uh, we tend to respond just like kids do when, when they're getting disciplined with those same proverbial statements and questions. We either fall into this helpless posture or this defensive posture. We, we, we tend to gravitate to one or the other. Uh, whenever we're in this situation, we don't understand what's going on. Uh, we'll, we'll eventually say, well, I guess this is it. Nothing I can do about it not going to try and learn a valuable lesson here, right? Or we'll do the opposite. We'll get angry. 
We'll get defensive, we'll bristle, we'll get maybe you're angry with God right now. Maybe you've been angry with God for a long time based on whatever situation you're in. And so we, we start saying those, we start making those defensive statements and postures like, why me? Why, why did this ha- have to happen to me? God, don't, don't, don't you love me? I don't deserve this. How could you let this happen to me? Or you, you love this one. If you really loved me, then fill in the blank. Trying to manipulate the situation. No, it's because he loves you that he's actually following through. It's because a parent loves you that they follow through on any kind of consequence. So let, let's take a look at the posture that Daniel took. He has found himself in this seemingly impossible situation through no fault of his own. So what posture did he take? What's the gospel posture he took, the Christ-like posture that he takes now in verses 14 through 30? So picking up in verse 14... It says this, Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Now, stick a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. That's a posture he's taking. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now listen to this. Then Daniel went to his house and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions, and he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Make a note of that. We're going to circle back to that. So Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel answered, and he said with this beautiful prayer, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings, and he sets up kings. Daniel was praying back to God, I know that King Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's in charge, and he's threatening my life, but he is not the real sovereign here. You're the one who set him up. You're the one who's doing it. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. You are not fooling anybody if you think you're, trying, you're hiding from God your darkness. He knows, and he's wanting to bring that out into the light through any means necessary. He says, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. He's given back adoration to God, and he's saying, for you have given me wisdom and might. And you have made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Then it says, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and he said thus to him. Now thus doesn't really matter, it's just a fun way to say this. He said thus to him, it's like a more formal thing, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste. He said, man, we got to get in here. We're all about to die. And he said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. Then the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, his Babylonian name, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? King wasn't changing his mind. And Daniel answered the king and said, no. No, sir, I'm not. 
fact, I, I agree. Your, your guys were right on this point. I agree with them on this point. No, I am not able to do this, you crazy, crazy man. Right? But, but watch what he says here. He says, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. He is saying, All this is happening because of the sovereign God you're mocking. He says, To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, not because I'm more wise than any other man on earth, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. And God is saying that, 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 that not every seemingly impossible situation that, that you, you're in or that you're going to face is necessarily caused or created by God. But what Daniel is teaching us here is that there is a gospel posture that you can take regardless of who caused it, regardless of why it was created. There is a gospel posture that God is teaching us to take whenever we find ourselves in these situations. So he is saying when we come up against seemingly impossible powers, we need to respond with the proper posture. And look at what Daniel does here. He, he's, he's in this situation. In verse 14, it says, he dealt with the situation with prudence and discernment. Now, we read something like that, and we think we get it. We think we understand that. It's like, sure, John, that's common sense. When we're in these hard situations we don't understand, yes, we should, we'll, we'll respond with prudence and discernment, but you're, you're fooling yourself if you think you do that all the time, right? When we get in these situations, we freak out, don't we? Oftentimes, we don't respond with prudence and discernment. And by the way, this discernment, which a lot of times we just think, okay, discernment is for us to understand what's really going on so that, that I can get out of this jam, so that I can just get out of this situation. Just God, get me out of this. That is not what biblical discernment is talking about here. Biblical discernment is way different than that. In fact, biblical discernment is what Daniel starts here Biblical discernment means that is the process of determining God's desire in the situation. And that is way different. And that's what Daniel is teaching us here. That's the posture that we need to start with. He dealt with it with that kind of prudence and discernment to say, okay, it's not about getting me out of this situation. It's not about just figuring out what is going on. It's not about just meeting my needs here. No, no, no. Biblical discernment is finding out what is it that God is desiring here. And imagine this. How many times in your life would things have been different? How many times would things be different? How many times will they, they be different? If you had just stopped to do this one thing, if you had just taken a step back and used some biblical discernment here to say, okay, what? Okay, I'm going through this. I don't understand what I'm going through, but, but what is God's desire here? If you had just done that, think about how your life could have been different and the, life, the lives around you could have been different just done that one thing and it goes on to say Daniel's posture becomes this in verses 17 through 19 that he deferred to an even greater authority than the one he was facing 
when we find ourselves in those situations, we should defer to that greater authority than the one that we're facing. A lot of times, all we can do is, whenever that greater power is imposing their will on us, all we get locked in on and focused on is that power. We just want to try and fix it. We just want to try and get out of the situation. But Daniel, watch what Daniel does here. He, yes, he goes to the king who is causing the threat and he says, give me a little time here. I'll come back and we'll, we'll figure this out. But he does, he does plead. He does plead with somebody. He pleads with the God of mercy. It actually says he goes to his three friends, three people that he knew he could grab and he has a little house prayer meeting. That's what he does. He says, guys, listen, we have got to drop to our knees right now and plead with the God of mercy for him to reveal his wisdom to us so we can figure out what his desire, what his desire is in all this. So he grabs three people that he knows they'll use biblical discernment so they're not gonna drop to their knees and pray, that, oh God, just save us from all this. No, no, they're gonna drop to their knees and say, God of mercy, reveal your wisdom. Please let me know your desire in all of this. So who's your people? Who's your people? Who are those two or three people in your life when you get involved in these kind of situations that you go to and you plead with them to say, guys, we have got to drop to our knees, pray to the God of mercy that he would reveal his wisdom and his desire for us in this situation. Not people that are gonna be praying, please just remove this from him. Please just take this away from her. God, this is not fair. They don't deserve this. And that's what Daniel is showing. That's the posture that we take. Daniel didn't run to the problem to try and fix it himself. He fell on his face before the problem solver, for the only one who could actually reveal this mystery. And once he actually received that wisdom from God, once, once God actually revealed to him, and in this case it says he revealed through a vision of the night to Daniel, God's not always gonna speak to us through a dream or through a vision, but when we begin to take this kind of posture, he will begin to reveal his wisdom and his desire in our life. And that's what he just did for Daniel. And so Daniel, right away, he demonstrates humility by putting God's greatness on display. Right away, that's what he does. In verses 20 through 23, privately, he offers up this amazing prayer back to God. And it wasn't just in this moment that he was doing it. Daniel had been preparing for this moment for a long time. We learned about that last week. On a regular basis, Daniel was dropping to his knees and he was going before God with the correct posture to say, God of mercy, have mercy on me and reveal your wisdom to me. And God had given them this wisdom. And so on this regular basis, he was preparing his heart and mind just for these, a situation just like this so that he could be ready to know how to respond with the proper posture. And so for us, as we experience this, are, are we taking the time on a regular basis to allow God to form our hearts and minds so they'll be turned toward him and his desire so that we get, when we get in a situation like this, we'll know exactly the kind of posture we should be taking. So he does that privately. Now for me, something that's really helped prepare my heart and mind on, on a regular basis, one of the things all my life I've struggled with the discipline of prayer. And so uh, I'd studied this, this ancient 
uh, liturgical discipline. Uh, it's called Lectio Divina. It just means divine reading. And believers for hundreds of years have been practicing this discipline on a regular basis in their life. And so I actually found an app, uh, you know, something that technology is good for, uh, to help me and what it does it takes, it marries scripture and it marries prayer together so that it's helping organize my thoughts and minds when I do this on a regular basis to actually when I come before God, I'm not just informing him now, but I'm allowing him to form me. So as, as scripture and my prayers get married now, a lot of times what we do is we just wanna go before God and inform him. He doesn't need your information. Now we can give it to him, he was fully aware of what was going on here. In fact, he was the one causing it. What we need to do on a regular basis is to come before him, marry those two, so not to inform God of what's going on, inform him, God, you gotta get me out of here, but no, God, please help mold and form my heart in and through all this. And Daniel was doing all this. Now, if you're wondering what the, the app that I, I mentioned was, I forgot to put a slide in, so I just made one for you. So... Don't come up to me and ask me after. What was that app you were talking about, John? This is it, Lectio 365. I would recommend it. I would encourage you to do this on a daily basis. The app, there's nothing special about the app. What is special when special things happen is when we come before our God and allow him to form us, especially for situations just like this. And not only did, did Daniel demonstrate humility by putting God's greatness on disp display privately, he did it publicly in verses 26 through 30. Uh, we see that Daniel didn't just keep his humility behind closed doors. What he did was now it was time he went before the king and he wanted to make crystal clear to the king that was threatening his life and the lives of all these others. He wanted to make known before all the kingdom who was actually saving here. And it sure wasn't him. He wanted to make crystal clear that Daniel, that he was not the savior here. He was not the guy riding in to save the day. No, 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 no. He was saying, listen, I'm not that guy. No, you, you, they were right. Nobody can do what you're asking here. There's only one that can. And God is the one who has revealed this to me. And it is God that's the hero here. It is God that's the savior here. And he wanted to make sure everybody knew it. He's always the hero. He is always the Savior. And when God pours out his mercy and wisdom in your life, in these circumstances, when you've actually gone through this type of thing, and you've gone through this kind of posture, do people know who the Savior is? Do people know why something happened the way that it did. Do you make crystal clear to know that, hey, it's not me here, it wasn't him, it wasn't her, it was God. It was by his great mercy and his great wisdom that anything happened, that anything good at all happened. See, the problem is, is that oftentimes, when, when we get in situations like this, when we're in trouble, all, all we tend to think about is the trouble we're in. All we want to do is pray to God, God, just, just get me out of it. God, just take this away from me. I don't deserve it. I, I, I don't know why this is happening. Well, maybe God is actually working through it all 
not to take it away from you, but to transform you because of it. Maybe, just maybe, all this is happening in your life, not so that your life could get made great again, but so that through your life, his greatness can be made known. Let me just say that one more time. Maybe, maybe all that you've gone through, maybe all that you're going through right now, God is not trying to get you out of it so that your life can be great or so that your life can be great again. Maybe he's keeping you in it so that through your life, his greatness could be made known today. When those seemingly impossible situations rise up in our life, we should expect God's greatness to show up. We should expect to put his greatness on display. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we just want to uh, be still before you now. We come to you now humbly. We know that uh, we don't always understand. In fact, most of the times, I, I don't think we really understand what's going on and, and why it's happening. But I know often our response is, is a disobedient heart. We run to try and fix the problem. We act helpless. We get angry. Scott, whatever is going on now, whether you're causing it or whether you're not, Father, I just pray we would fall before you now, that you would hear our, our prayers of mercy. God, that you would reveal your wisdom to us, not so that, not so that we could get what we want, Father, but so that you would be made great. God, so that your name would be lifted high, the name above every name, Father. God, I pray that it would all happen so that we could learn, so that you could instruct us what your desire is for our hearts, for our minds, and for our lives, God. So God, for those disobedient hearts that are in this room today, pray they'd run back to you. pray they'd run back home. We pray this in your name.